0: Namaste, and I'm really happy to be there in your midst, and I'm also thankful to Sangam Talks for giving this opportunity to interact with all of you. So, Omnia Future, Omnia Future is an academy, and what kind of an academy are we? And what's our root? We come from a parampara which is called Shivanetra, as you know, it's a lineage. And lineages, paramparas, there are many in India, and like Ramakrishna mission or Chinmaya Mission or other uh, associations which are there. Shivanetra has been a lineage which is pretty old, and there have been gurus and uh, param gurus, and uh, I belong to that lineage. That said, I also have a background in uh, you know earlier on in my life. I've been in the corporate world. I've worked uh, in national companies, international companies. And long ago, I made a transition. And one of the mandates I got from my guru was to focus on this particular area, which is called Garbha Vigyana. So the Garbha, what is Garbha, what is Vigyana? And a combination of all of this in the context of the spiritual learning was what I was endowed and bestowed with for which I remain thankful to my gurus. And apart from that, I got directions to equip myself with the latest developments in the world of science and what's exactly happening in this field. And since then, it's been a fascinating journey over the years. And what has come about is a grand fusion. So what does OmnioFuture as an academy do? We blend ancient wisdom with modern sciences. So let's put it in context for today and proceed on a similar lines with respect to the topic as uh, has been introduced. The name of the topic is Abhi Manyu Effect. Abhi Manyu Effect. Now, I think this is a very easy and a recognizable name for most of us. Uh, What we do as uh, an institution with respect to knowledge sharing and understanding, I'm going to carry forward in the same spirit with respect to Abhimanyu and the understanding the concept of what this talk is all about. First and foremost, Abhimanyu is no stranger to any of us, right? All of us know Abhimanyu. It's a household name. And it comes across through the story of uh, Mahabharata, And it's called the story of Veera Abhimanyu, right? So what are the factors which we know of? The first factor is very obvious, Veera Abhimanyu, the courage, the bravery, the kind of courage he showed as a young boy or a young man of 16 years and uh, took on the might of the Kaurava army is very well known to each and every one of us. But he died a tragic death, it looks like probably because of treachery and whatever happened on the battlefield left a very, very sordid impression on each and every one of us. And the second aspect of the story has always been the fact that he learned something when he was there inside the womb. And I think this is also very, very well known across India. People know that Abhimanyu learned something when he was there in the womb of his mother, Subhadra. And whatever he learned came of use at a critical time in the course of the Mahabharata war. So let's ask some fundamental questions. He learned inside the womb and his courage aside, first and foremost, is the Abhimanyu story, for that matter, the Mahabharata itself, is it a true story or a true narration or what is it? Is it a a myth or is it a fiction? Now I think a lot of water has passed now. And today people, courtesy, you know, Srijan talks, Sangam talks, and many other fora, you had speakers coming and telling you which scientific evidence about the dating of Mahabharata, dating of history, because this is part of Itihasa, this is part of history, when you get into the scriptures of India. So if this was part of history, dating of it, giving evidence, archaeological evidence, as also climatology, plus uh, modern sciences, which have also stepped in. They've all given a, a lot of knowledge about how to figure out the reality of these stories. But that's for the scientifically minded, the intellectually minded. But for believers, this, this story was always true. So Krishna was true. The narration of the, every event of Mahabharata is true. And all the god, gods and goddesses are also true for us. The important question which comes about us, if Abhimanyu learnt while he was inside the womb, there must have been at least a nine-month span when he was there inside the womb. So in the course of nine months, there would have been many instances, like she was a princess. And she was the princess in a royal family in rich surroundings. So as a Yadava princess, she would have had access to a lot of things and engagements with a lot of people. Why is it that one particular conversation she has with Arjuna, Krishna, depending upon which perspective you take, gets etched into the memory of this baby, this fetus inside the womb? Why not the others? And if such a learning happened, are there causes... What were the factors which contributed to making, making this a reality? That's what we're going to examine through this. So the first part of it, I'm trying to give you a little bit of a perspective on some developments which have taken place in the modern scientific arena and the world of knowledge as we know and how significant progress has happened in the field of what is now called as prenatal perinatal sciences. So for many of us, this term itself might be new. And for some people, they might be knowing something about it. But I want to give it a context and and put it in perspective so that people will be able to appreciate what is indeed the story of prenatal sciences and what was its evolution all about. And before that, story morphs into the modern day reality Over the last two, three hundred years, probably a little more, pregnancy has largely been understood to be an event. You know, it runs for a course of about nine months. And at the end of it, a baby gets delivered, right? So there are some trials and tribulations which might be happening. But by and large, children are born. So cultural practices and medical practices vary across regions, cultures. So people have had many, many, many kind of variations in this. However, the primary concern which came about in the last two, three hundred years with the evolution of science was what? Let's make sure that the baby and the mother are safe. So for that, the tracking by many parameters, primarily what is known as the infant mortality rate and the maternal mortality rate, MMR and IMR. So that became the cornerstone of modern medical practice. So significant evolution has happened, as we can see. There's been a dramatic reduction in the mortality, morbidity rates. And therefore, the evolution as it's happened over the last three, four hundred, hundred years, up to a few decades ago, and probably even now, pregnancy is now a largely medical event. So pregnancy means it's equal to doctor, it's equal to hospital and what needs to be done which is a good thing because you can see the good results which have come about. So what led to this was a different kind of a consequence when you begin to see some other aspects of human life. Medical protocols came to the forefront. The focus was on health and safety, prevention of infection, prevention of problems for the mother, prevention of problems for the child, nourishment of the mother, nutrition, supplements, All of it, immunization, but many other facts either got discarded or were given lesser prominence or were deliberately rejected. For example, what are the needs? What are the other needs which could be there? Emotional, mental, sensorial, familial. Pregnancy has always been a larger than one person event. An entire family used to get involved with it. So the involvement of society, the involvement of family reduced significantly. And of course, the larger aspects like culture and spirituality were all forgotten. The spiritual context of this was completely forgotten. Now, is there a case for that? We will examine. However, the story as it progresses took a very gory turn in many ways. It was all about taking care of medical protocols and making sure that everything was okay. With its success rates, whatever prescriptions were being given, you know, folic acid and supplements, scans, reports, all of that dominated the entire course of pregnancy. But looking at it from the baby's perspective, what was the prevalent doctrine till now and probably even now? the baby is still work in progress, meaning it's developing. And one important aspect was that the baby is not sentient, meaning it doesn't have emotions, feelings. The brain is still under development. The other organs are still under development. And therefore you need to address the requirements of the baby, not care and address the other requirements which could be in the larger context, as I mentioned, emotional, uh, intellectual, spiritual, whatever it might be, the larger context were really negligible. It led to some horrible consequences. And in today's world, the modern world as we speak, the kind of things which have been inflicted upon babies and continue to get inflicted, for instance, there's a procedure by which they take the blood sample of the baby. So what do they do? They clamp the heels of the baby and just extract blood. The baby might be howling, but what do you do? Nothing, you know, because this is the baby really is not, maybe in a little bit of a pain physically, but then overall nothing's happened happening to it because it's still not a full human being. And if you think this was, uh, you know, this is normal, just look at it. As you move into this, you begin to address the baby completely as a non-sentient, non-feeling entity. So believe it or not, in a land like America, millions of procedures, medical procedures like circumcision have been done without anesthesia. And you want to hear about something else which is even more serious if you view it? There's a condition, for example, I think it's called patent ductus arteriosus. Two blood vessels have to kind of fuse together to create the passage by the time the baby is born. If it's not fused together and perfectly created, a procedure is done to join these blood vessels. And this is a heart surgery. It's been done without anesthesia. So the consequence which you need to appreciate is that it might be a medical event taken care of in terms of infection, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but whatever happens to the baby in terms of pain or feelings or whatever is happening there is really not relevant because the baby is still under development, it's not fully grown, doesn't have human feelings. And therefore, let's do what, what needs to be done from the position of our knowledge. This is when things begin to change. And when did this change happen? About three to four decades ago, roughly about four decades ago. And it happened from an astounding field, a completely unrelated field, seemingly. People used to go to psychiatrists, psychologists, with their problems, typically traumas. The kind of pain people have as traumas, trying to alleviate that pain, there was a lot of effort being put to find out the root cause. And amongst the mechanisms which psychologists use is to go back, back, back to find out the root cause. For example, if you started having, let's say headache. So they'll ask you, was there some fall or some event which happened some years ago because of which this kind of a distortion or a extreme pain started coming into you. And if you say, indeed you had a fall, preceding that what happened, and they'll keep going backwards, backwards, which is called a regression technique. And while they were doing regressions like this with adult patients about their traumas and problems in the course of life, in certain zones of engagement, people would lapse and blurt out certain things which looked like fiction. Because they would say that, you know, when I was there inside the womb, my father beat my mother. Or I learned all this music when I was there inside the womb, because so-and-so was a teacher who used to come to our house. And my sisters used to learn because of which, staying inside the womb, I learned. Now, this looks like Cock and story, right? How is it possible? So in the Western world, this was a shocking thing. So womb experiences, narrations, how do they, what do you do with it? So either you can dismiss it, but being professionals, what they did was they started collating it. They collated this anecdotal data and then tried to match it with either medical records or research And tried to marry or match these two things. What was anecdotally said and what was factually available. And it turned out to be an astonishing story because a lot of it was completely true. Now the belief is that this baby doesn't have sentience. It's not capable. It doesn't have anything. But as an adult human being undergoing trauma problems pain of very high magnitudes, people are recalling that as in the process of therapy through psychologists. And this is something which has happened very early in life and it's manifesting much later in life. And this was the dawn of prenatal and perinatal sciences. In fact, like much of the progression in science, when this got published or rather wanted to be presented as a major paper, in the, in the medical field, they were poo-pooed. That said, no, this is nonsense. Don't even come near us with this. So then these psychologists got together and they've created a platform. In fact, one of the platforms which is available in the world today called Association for Prenatal, Perinatal Sciences and Health. These, these scientists got together and since then, The knowledge has blossomed and bloomed, including all people across walks of life, much so professionals, obstetricians, gynecologists, for sure, pediatricians, for sure. So those those from the medical profession, many others from the medical profession, like midwives and doulas, and a whole lot of them are engaged in this field. But it's important to note the joint contribution of major sciences like neurosciences, neurocardiology, Molecular biology, cellular biology, sociology, all of these have come together to put this body of knowledge called pre- and perinatal sciences. So this knowledge has been astounding. The baby is now recognized as a sentient being, a human, a complete human. And attention is being given. So much so now the knowledge is that what is happening inside the womb Apart from the new knowledge which is emerging in terms of its sentience, emotions, intellect, abilities to learn, holistic development, even the physicality of it. For example, unless the heart learns how to beat and unless the heart progresses uh, to beat, the rest of the development of the heart will not happen. So it's, it's it's a telescopic effect. Unless the previous stage is fulfilled, it's going to affect the subsequent stages. And new knowledge tells us that there is a huge sensorial progress even inside the womb. Some of you might be astounded. The tactile sensation, you know, the touch feeling, the touch effects. That's from seventh week of pregnancy onwards. The course of 40 weeks, it starts in the seventh week. The baby starts responding to slight movements of pieces of hair on its cheek, other things. So it's getting its sentience there itself. It's sensing. Taste. Unbelievable. 14th week. The baby consumes more of the amniotic fluid if chocolates are eaten by the mother. And if you have pungent stuff like garlic or something else, typically in our Indian context, masalas and all of it, the baby might not like it. So the consumption of what's available in the amniotic sac, amniotic fluid comes down. Auditory develops by the 12th or 14th week. Seeing by from the 10th to 26 weeks, smell, unbelievable smell. The baby develops the faculty of smell. And then it gets reproduced at the time of birth because the instant it's born, it knows the mother more by the smell than anything else. Its eyes might not even have opened. And it knows how to crawl up, the early crawl, as it's called, within an hour's time. Left to itself, it will crawl up and reach the mother's breast and suckle. It's amazing. So the baby is intelligent, has huge abilities. Make no mistake about it. So this is a fact of science today. But then persisting questions remained. Where is this knowledge? Where is it stored? How does it operate? What is this mind? What is this memory? Because the brain and the neural structures are still under development. There's no conscious mind. There's no memory. So how do you understand the prenatal and perinatal paradigm? These are baby steps being taken through modern sciences. Whatever I narrated to you till now are basic elementary steps being taken in modern science. In contrast, if you compare this to the body of knowledge which we have as our scriptures... It's the richest source of knowledge for the world. It's the richest source of knowledge, which has been in existence for time immemorial, if nothing else, at least a few thousand years, predating every other known knowledge, which has stood the test of time, which has never been rebutted. So Rishi Vidya is like that. So you have it stored in various bodies, various places, various people. And I think... This is the stark difference between an evolved knowledge and an evolving knowledge. How do you make sense? Because the world is still grappling with all these things. How does memory come in? How does mind come in? How does learning happen? How does the baby know? How do these faculties develop? And it's just in its baby steps, so to say, the evolution of this knowledge. If you really want to know, you will have to address this baby holistically. You will have to address this being holistically. Many of you may be aware of how the scriptures look at it. Let me just uh, share this slide so that you will get a perspective of what I'm talking about. Because it is holistic development of a different kind, which we need to understand. Not just the physicality and beyond the physicality, what needs to be appreciated is the holistic context. If you want to understand a human being, this structure of a human being, through what is called as a Panchakosha structure, becomes essential. Because there are various components to what a human structure is. The physical part, you know, this is a very common representation of the Panchakosha structure. And across lineages, across cultures, across scriptures in India, everybody accepts this. There's no denying of this and there's a complete acceptance of this particular structure. So you have the physical layer, which is called the Annamaya Kosha. You have the emotional layer, which is there with you, which is called the Pranamaya Kosha. The Prana or the life energy or the life vitals. Then you have the Manonamaya Kosha, which is the mental plane where the mind seems to be functioning. But as we discussed, the mind is still under development. Because the brain is still under development. Neural structures are still under development. So the limit of knowledge has touched only this part. But there are two other faculties or two other components of a human being. And what are those? The Vijnanamaya Kosha. And what is called as the Anandamaya Kosha. Anandamaya Kosha is actually the universal layer itself. You, know, you're, you have an existence in energetic terms where you are as much as the expanse of the universe. But short of that is the Vigyanamaya. This is not given to human experience, but seems to be having a foundational, fundamental, causative, formative and operative effect in the course of human affairs. Wow. How do you make the statement? This has never been taught to us in school or never been told to us by scientists or doctors or anybody else. How do I know that this is a reality? That's a good question to ask. However, the truth is not just in this mere understanding of the body through what is physically available and the play of emotions, which is very less understood. In fact, there's no coaching about emotions also in schools and universities. Finally, you come down to the mind. Even today, what is the mind is not known. There are theories about it, but exactly what is mind, where is memory? All of these are not known in the world of science. There are theories and postulations, but never an establishment, established fact to say that this is mind and this is memory. So the recourse has to be to something else. And that is where the Western world as we know it and the world of science has progressed to. And I'm going to take you to one interesting part, which is known in the world of science. And we need to look at it very quickly to get a complete appreciation of what is happening to the extent it is known in the world of to the extent it's known in the world of science okay so here we go this is a depiction of what's happening inside the brains right so these are the typical eeg studies electroencephalograph right brain waves now there are different kinds of brain waves which are getting recorded in the course of human activities So from intense activity in the course of the day, which we do as professionals, working lives, social lives, etc. And that the range of brain waves, which you typically see there are alpha beta waves, which have a particular type of wavelength and frequencies. But when you come down below to the green and the blue part, these are not higher frequency but lower frequency waves, typically what are called delta-theta waves, typically in the range of 0 to 6 hertz. The astounding fact is, babies inside the womb, and I'll come to that outside as well, are in what are called as a lucid state. In that lucid state, they're almost hypnotic. So therefore, the association with conscious mind and memory cannot happen because they're in a almost a hypnotic state. So if a person is hypnotized, he obviously is not functioning with this conscious mind. There's an alteration of the mind structures. There's an alteration of the cognition structures. Memory is very, very different. In fact, people can recall many things when they're hypnotized. They can see beyond an opaque wall and say, what's there? Some of these things are getting known in the world of science and it's becoming Fascinating because of that. There you go. But how do we take recourse to this fact and understand the context, the scientific context to appreciate the story of Abhimanyu? Here we go. If you recognize the concept of subconscious, which is now a reality in the world of science, the acceptance has come. There's a large awareness And what is exactly the subconscious? And one estimate of the capacity of the subconscious comes through modern science again. First and foremost, the power of the subconscious. As adults, we don't seem to be having access to that, mind you, we don't seem to be having access to that. It's not given to experience. It's not given to conscious mind. It's not given to memory and not in the waking state. Because when you get into lucidity, typically dream and deep sleep, these are the brainwave patterns which seem to be operating in lower frequency. But that's not in the conscious state. That's not in the waking state. But the baby, 24 bar 7, is in that state. Every day of the womb journey is like that. What's this power? The power, I'll give you a relative comparison. You and I, we're sitting in front of each other, right? You can see the color of my shirt. I can see the color of each one of your dresses. You can hear ambient sounds probably wherever you're sitting. You can feel the texture of the chair where you're sitting. So if you it, each one of them is a sensory signal or a bit of data, as in computer bits, bits of data which are being picked up by our sensing mechanism. So the conscious mind-sensing mechanism is picking up about 40 bits of data per second. How many? 40? 40 bits of data per second. Guess how much a baby inside the womb or any baby which is there in the lucid state functioning in that brainwave frequency, how much of data would that baby be picking up? I'm just giving a moment for you to pause and just think about it. Take a guess. It's obviously, it looks like more than 40, right? So the guess could be somewhere 100, 1000, 2000, probably more, we really don't know. 40 bits of data for an adult conscious existence up to 40 million bits of data for the baby. How much? Two to four crore signals per second is what the baby gets per instant, per second. So the power of the subconscious is amazing. It's amazing. This is a fact of science today. So all this data which I'm giving you is all from the world of science. There's a supramental definition given, subconscious, superconsciousness. All of these are terms which are coming out in the West. And there are many, many universities, especially neurosciences, which are researching extensively into it. There's a new awakening in the Western sciences. So the appreciation now clearly is that this state in which a lucid state progression happens is definitely through the course of the womb journey, which is about 9 months, 40 weeks equivalent, whatever. It extends beyond birth, from the date of birth or time of birth, for a period of about 2 years thereafter, which we call as the period of infancy. And an astounding piece of information was that they began to trace it to events even before physical... consummation or the physical conception involving the union of the father and the mother has happened, which is now recognized as the period of preconception. If you aggregate these three periods, preconception, nine months of pregnancy and two years of infancy, where human life is completely in the subconscious state, you get a total period of about 1000 to 1100 days. That is called the golden period of life. That's called the golden period because everything which happens in the course of life seems to be getting determined on the basis of what has happened in this period. Whether you are 40, whether you are 80, every one of the life events, physical, emotional, intellectual, sensorial, creative, devotional, spiritual, health, Immunity, guess it, name it. It's all within this period that it's made. Now, let's just look at it quickly from what the world of modern science again speaks about this. Look at it. This is a narration. And I'm putting it in quotes because I'm quoting the exact words. If we change the beginning of the story, we can change the whole story. Who says this? This is in a document of World Bank, World Health Organization, UNICEF, It's called NCF or Nurturing Care Framework. And this is a very recent publication, which has brought about a completely new knowledge base for the world of science to accept and the world of cultures and societies to live by. Who speaks of this? WHO. And they give it the caption of 0 to 3. And it's part of a document, which I showed you as NCF, Nurturing Care Framework. So you have world organizations now acknowledging and working into the space. 1001 critical days. This is the name of an organization. It's actually a hybrid or it comprises of both the BJP and the Congress of UK, which is the labor and the conservatives coming together to create this platform. Where the past legislation saying that the state is obliged to fund this program. And of course, many other institutions like what I mentioned, BTNH, APA, ANEP, and of course, we as Omnio Future are very much engaged in this field. And this is the document, the way it looks like, where World Bank, as you can see, all these are logos of these organizations, UNICEF, ECDAN, a whole lot of them. And strangely, curiously, it has a graphic which looks like an Indian household. Okay. Beyond that, let's look at it. Why did World Bank get into this? You must be curious, right? Scientists are getting into it. So World Bank. That's because of the economics involved in it. And this is a chart which has been prepared by a professor by the name of James Heckman. He's a Nobel laureate. So standard wise, gold standard Nobel laureate, right? Now he's put a number to it. What does he say? He says, the returns per annum to a dollar invested. Now, he's given to the continuum of life. Now, if you look at it, prenatal seems to be very high. Preschool, schooling, it tapers down. And by the time you get down to adult training, it tapers down. And what's the difference? Per dollar invested, you get a return of up to $14. Why? Because better health better social abilities, better learning abilities. A whole lot of things seem to be coming about in this stage. If you invest there, you get better returns than investing in hospitals or jails or reformation centers. And the programs are getting targeted towards these earlier years, as you can see. By the time it comes to school going age, the return per dollar invested comes down to about four to eight dollars. A dramatic drop. And if you get down to below $1 or other uh, return period, where you get a return of less than $1, it's all of adulthood. So you try giving better health, preventing diabetes, preventing other things, or building more reformed people who can take take care of the environment. All of it as soft skills or abilities in an individual. You get less than $1 return for every dollar invested. So where should the government be spending money? So this has been the question. That's why you have World Bank in the play. Now this brings us to a very different point. What are the ancient scriptures speaking about this? And this is where we stand out as Bharatiya's. We stand out as Bharatiya's because this is where much of our our gold is. I'll just name very quickly all the Upanishads which speak about it, many of them Aitareya, Taitareya, Srimad Bhagavatam, Garuda Puran. You might have heard that name, Garuda Puran. Ayurveda, of course, speaks eloquently, but there again, there's a distinction between Garbha and Garbini. So Ayurveda takes care of both aspects where they speak of the Garbini, which is the mother, and the Garbha, which is the child inside the womb. And I want to just mention about two significant treatises. One is called Garbha Upanishad. It's an Upanishad by Sage Pipalada. And this, if you download it from Google, it will be one A4 size page download. That's it. And that contains amazing amount of details. What happens in the embryonic stage? What happens in the course of fetal development? And I'll just quote one bit little bit for example it says rutukale samproyagat ekaratroshitam kalilam bhavati saptaratroshitam budbudam bhavati ardhamas abhyantarena kathinam bhavati now you can begin to look at these wordings and understand what the what the sages have said it's an astounding piece of knowledge and information what is it the sages are telling you about the glory of human beings the way it exists every aspect which is mentioned in the even in that little verse which i quoted to you what happens at the instant of conception can you believe it at the instant of conception what is happening is getting defined and detailed by the sages It looks like this. No scientific equipment, no cutting open, but with divine vision, Divya Drishti or Mantra Drashtara, the rishis were, they gave this knowledge and gave it on a platter to us. And they said, seven days later, within seven days, it's going to look like this, like a bubble. And gynecologists and other medical professionals are astounded. How is this knowledge available? Where do we get to know about this from? So Garbobanesha, not just the physicality of it, it goes into the mental states. What is fetal psychology? What's happening inside the womb? And it takes care of virtually everything in a very, very practical way and takes you to the purpose of life itself. So the scriptures are signature trademarks of what India is. And I want to introduce another one, which which is again of a signal variety. It's called the Garbha Gita. Now, Garbha Gita for those of you who are aware of the Skanda Purana story. It's the story of where Mahadev and Parvati have to get married to create, and their union is to create Kartikaya to take care of, uh, you know, Tarkasur, because without that the world is going to is in doom. So that narration which happens, two important points come out there. One is the fact that Parvati is bedeviled by a curse that she cannot carry. She cannot carry a child in a womb by Rati because Shiva burns Kama, right? Kamadeva gets burned by Shiva's third eye opening up and he shoots those arrows. So what happens? Parvati is unable to carry the child. So Shiva says, so what does it matter? We'll fuse our energies and we'll create it. Now the concept of preconception in an energetic state being a reality is one aspect, significant aspect which Shiva brings out in and the second one is, Parvati is never able to carry this child in a womb, and post birth, taken away, separated, through the hands of Agni, etc., etc. Many of you may be knowing these stories. And finally, who brings the child up? Ganga carries and carry, and she's brought up, and he's brought up by the Kritika sisters. Parvati is in grief. I cannot even hold my own child. What do I do? And Lord Shiva stands up and gives her this grand, grand narration. And he tells her, you are the mother for the world. You need to engage with that baby wherever that soul is progressing. To give inputs, create a mechanism And begin to engage to give all the necessary inputs to the child. What are the inputs? All of the things which we can talk about. You know, the spiritual, the emotional, the creative, the mental, all of it. And an instrumentality like a doll. She's given a doll by by Mahadev. And she begins to engage with that doll. And giving it all her prana to educate that baby. And this knowledge has been captured again as a part of the great Indian legacy. It's called the Garbha Gita. So what knowledge to go into the baby, how it's to be addressed, every one of it is a part of our heritage. Our heritage, our richness is incomparable. And you know, many of you get Whatsapp forwards, but we really don't give it the kind of appreciation which is required for that I'm just going to put a couple of them, which again, you know, are recent things which you see. Now, where is this? This is a temple inscription in Kundadam Vatakunat v- Swamiji Temple near Koimator. It's, it's there. Uh, and if you do a Google, you'll get it on it. Look at this. This is this description of baby in temple wall inscriptions. Month on month, every month is there. And taking care of the pregnant woman. And where is this child? Within, it looks like a pattern here. It looks like a star. We'll come to that in a moment. And another temple, Varamurtishwara temple, again in Tamil Nadu. You're seeing this, the sperm, egg, preconception, conception, how it happens, every aspect of that has been a part of our culture. Now this is the thing which we need to keep as a background. Now, this looked like a long story to address how did Abhimanyu learn? You will have to go back to our scriptures, which tell you that learning is a fact. Learning is a mechanism. You can engage with to give knowledge to the child through the most important important period of its life. And that is a fusion Or a collation of eight factors. I'm just mentioning it here. Avastha, Shakti, Purva Janma, Kshetra, Shraddha, Vishaya, Prahelika, Prakriya. These are the eight facilitating factors. Now, what are these? A very quick introduction. What's the state in which the mother was? What's the state? What was her mental state? So where was Subhadra? What was she thinking? What was she imagining? Shakti, what kind of innate powers are there in that being? Purva Janma becomes relevant. So what are the previous Janma's patterns which are coming about? Where is that Kshetra? Where is the field of energy right now prevalent? What is Shraddha? Shraddha, what is the mind state in which Subhadra was listening to this? She was in complete devotion. So therefore, that period when the most intriguing aspects of a vyuha, a circular formation, a chakra viewha was being was being spoken about, she gets it completely into her being. What kind of knowledge was transpiring? Vishaya, and the methodology by which it was being transmitted, Prakriya. So every one of it confluence together, to result in that knowledge. So it's a collage of factors which come together. If you want more details, you can look it up in the book uh, Abhimanyu Effect of the the same as the caption of the uh, talk today. By the same name, you'll find a book and you can find it on on, uh, Amazon. you will be able to get it from different sources online. So the point is this. What modern science has evolved to has been a greater body of knowledge which has been available with us. But there's a bigger message in all this. This is the important point. The story which we make of Abhimanyu's story as a Veera Abhimanyu and a learning inside the womb has more messages than what we know it to be. And what are the messages which we need to get And what are the things which we need to reckon as we progress in our quest for this knowledge? First and foremost, half knowledge is dangerous, is the story of Abhimanyu, because he got only half the knowledge. And there's a bigger tragedy there. We all think of the story as a story of heroism, but there's a huge tragedy. Why? Because the pattern-making which happens in the course of the womb journey can get worked upon, reversed, or changed most effectively in that period. So whatever is being seen as manifestations in later life, from diseases to problems of different kinds, but at least in the childhood age, learning difficulties, ADHD, attention deficit, behavioral issues, a whole lot of things, plus not ability in not being there for higher IQs or even at the common level, you know, what, what's science learning or math learning, which is the common concern for parents. All those patterns, those are patterns because you'll notice that some people like math, some people don't like math. Some people like science, some people don't like science. Some people take to art, some people don't take to. Where are these patterns being made and how do you mold this? It can only happen very effectively in the course of the golden period. Pregnancy, preconception, and infancy. But it doesn't mean you can't change it. Because this is where Abhimanyu's story has a bigger message for the whole world. A later period correction was also possible. Later period learning didn't happen. And this patterning can get altered at any stage in your life, which is another body of knowledge called Vyuhavigyana. So alteration of these basic imprints, which is very commonly used in scientific world, could have been done there. Could still have been done in later life, but neither his parents did it, nor the Gurukulam he went to did it. For various reasons. Okay, we're not getting into the reasons why that didn't happen. But the point, the lessons for us is you can nurture and create learning potential. You can enhance human potential anytime, more so in the golden period. And this is the most important contribution which the Gurukulam system of education had for Bharata. And that's how our culture, our Sanskriti, our knowledge our preeminence survived for millions of years. If not millions, thousands. If not thousands, the more maximum period of accepted reality of about 20, 30,000 years or 6,000 years, all through, it is this system which stood the test of time and gave us what we were, the preeminent status. So the golden period learning has causative and formative effects. Meaning, you cause imprints form imprints and the ability to manipulate that if at all. We're not talking about re-engineering a genetic manipulation, that's of a different kind. But the minimum information a child wants to create its life structures, it is open, in fact, eager to receive that education. And what do we do? Education begins after the child goes to school. So it's the teacher and the parents from school time onwards Preschool, upwards, by the time of five, even modern science tells us that brain is kind of made. You can't alter structures there. The neural structures, the networks are all created. So the primary function we as humanity need to engage in is this. All through life, but more so in the most golden or the critical period of life. This is the lesson. In essence, Building learning potential is the way forward for mankind because the change, the rate of change has become very, very, very imminent. People are becoming outdated. Software people are losing skills within three to five years. Medical knowledge out technology, we know that it makes every other thing redundant. How are people going to live? By learning and relearning, not just one thing. I just learned something and then the rest of my life I'm living on that basis. It, It doesn't work like that. So therefore... The most crucial functions, we as society and more so parents and teachers, especially parents of children and golden period educators, have to get into this function of building learning potential. The ability to quickly learn, adapt and work with other things. And this is completely subconscious driven. Subconscious is not given to ordinary faculties of the mind and emotions and the physicality of our body but it's housed somewhere else. It's fully subconscious driven. This is a knowledge which has been stated by our scriptures, our sanskriti, our knowledge base, plus modern science. And we are not able to address it. The westerners are still grappling with it. In fact, post this report of 2018, United Nations has set up another committee to figure out how can we work on this. It's all there with us. Bharata has that knowledge. It shows you the way how to address a baby inside the golden period given? You know how? At a minimum level, all of us might have heard, hopefully, about the progression in life through 16 sanskaras. Sola sanskar bolte na? Sola sanskar leave out two. What is it? Antiyashti or death based rituals, right? Dead time rituals. And the one before that, where marriage is taking place. Those are the last two. Take the other 14. Of the 14 which spread across almost a lifetime, 15 which is across a lifetime, 9 of them are happening in the course of the womb journey or within the first 2 years. Garbasanskaras. What are those? Garbhadana, Pumsavana, Simantanayana or Godbharaya as it's called. sankaras. As soon as the child is born within the course of the first 2 years. Definitely within that. Chatakarma, Namakarna, Nishkramana, Anaprashana, Karnaveda, right, and the mundan which we do. All of these are genetic reflection or inflection points for us, where you can create structures within that to alter minimum level. Forget alteration. What is needed by the child, you can give it. Not to create super babies or designer babies, but to create the minimum necessary stuff for the baby so that it can live a holistic life. And this was the genius, genius of our rishis. They front-loaded it. If you sanskar, you no, will And the other 5 are based, to, based on education, Vidya sanskaras. This is Brahmopadesh and Upanayana and uh, the rest of it, which happens till the time of marriage. It's front-loaded and this was the genius of our rishis into the golden period. So golden period maps completely with the rishi's way of education. This is advantage Bharata. How to access the child inside the womb. How to teach and empower the child inside the womb. Building learning potential inside the womb. Developing a baby to be an individual and a contributor in society. And all of this by an assimilation of the knowledge which we have. What is it? The tantra of working through the Vijnana, yantras, mantras, chandas, many other things which are there, are there for us if we just open our eyes. We spend probably about 40, 50, 60 lakh rupees educating a child through the course of school-going education, right? At a minimum, it's that forgetting donations and other aspects of monetary outgoes. In the course of normal life, we spend That kind of money. And in the first thousand days of life, if you spend a fraction of that, you will get gold. But we don't do it. And today, as I showed you the chart of Heckman, Professor James Heckman, the world has moved there. We have the knowledge. We need to really buck our socks up and pull our shoes and start running furiously. In essence, I'm going to end on this note. It looks like the way we live our lives, it's a set of random things. And when things go wrong, what do we do? This was fate, this was destiny. The way it's written, it's one of fatalism. As opposed to that, true liberation lies within us, within the heart, within our potential. The human potential is created within us and we can nurture it actively, any stage of life, more so in the golden period of life. So I'm going to take a minute to show you the essence of this journey in in terms of what you can really look forward to as the learning from the Abhimanyu story. And here it is for you. This is the story or this is the narration which we get from Abhimanyu Effect If you combine both the perspectives from science and scriptures and blend it together, ask ourselves the question, what is it that we have learned from the womb? I invite each and every one of you to reflect who you are today. If you are a person who is a happy-go-lucky person, if you are a person who has got problems as in diseases or relationship problems or any one of those, Performance issues at office, workplace, wherever it might be, social issues in terms of relationships, engaging with society, all goes back to that period. What is it that we have learned in the womb? Second level, what have we taught our children when they they were there in the womb? So now as parents, if you look at your children, imagine what all happened in the course of their lives in that period, that your children's lives through that golden period, and you'll start mapping many of those events into, and these are all scientifically researched, evidence stuff which is there in the world today. The linkages. And what are we teaching babies who are now in the womb? Are we conscious of this effect? This, indeed, is the Abhimanyu effect. Okay? I... We'll stop at this point of time and giving you a moment to reflect, to just see the potential of this period and what we at any stage of our lives can do to make this a better moment for ourselves. Thank you very much. Shivoham. Namaste. So uh, this is a question regarding, I mean, nobody is going to contest that the early days are very critical, but the other question comes that if you haven't been taking care during the early days, how much of the damage can actually be salvaged, reversed, and so on? What is known about that? And do our scriptures have any indications about how to, you know, do some kind of uh, making up? Of course, it's not going to be perfect. Well, the answer I can give you is that uh, the world of the modern world tries to grapple with uh, adult problems or human life problems based on uh, situations or whatever science has come up with at that point of time, which is very relevant. But what do our scriptures say? Was your question? I can assure you that many of these things, even at a later later stage of life, could get course corrections done. Okay, however the effort which needs to be done there from a scriptural perspective changes or the direction of efforts changes. What needs to be happening, again, through the curious combination of things to work into the subconscious, to reflect upon the body, reflect upon the mind, reflect upon changes there. It's a different kind of a process. So is it possible? Yes. Are there indications within the scriptures? Immense. In fact, I did mention in the course of the talk itself that, for example, Vigyana. You can get back to that even at when you're 30, 40, 50, whatever be your age and try to remedy that situation. So for us right now, what do we do? We look at a solution only from our perspective, what what a doctor would say or what somebody else as a counselor would say, or what somebody, some other source of knowledge would tell me, starting from Google upwards. However, if we reflect back to our scriptures or just go back there, you'll find things there. I'm quoting scriptures to you, which are there either of uh, Uh, the subconscious, the vijyana pertaining to the entirety of mankind, entirety of an individual, the largeness, and what practices need to be adopted in that. So the tantra for using, uh, for putting together energetic structures to take care of that is also given. Ayurveda has it. Many other places you'll find uh, solutions for that, including scriptures. Okay, That's the general answer I can give you from this platform.
1: Uh, as you said, uh, as a parent, what I can do is the 16 samskaras, out of which nine has to be done. Uh, apart from that, anything else to be done as a parent?
0: There are plenty of things to be done, which could be done. Okay. The point is this, ma'am. If you look at what is possible, this is where the difference between us and the rest of the world comes. You have methodologies of how you can engage with a child. Now… What is there as, for example, through pre- and perinatal sciences also, how do you engage with the womb, uh, in the womb period with the child, what do you need to do, etc., etc., are things of trials and tribulations, meaning there's nothing concrete or definitive about what you can do there. But if you come here to this part of the world, basically Bharata, India, and the knowledge which we have, exactly month by month, week by week, day by day, what you can do is all given there. Okay. So if you begin to look at it, uh, let me take this opportunity to introduce one more thing, okay? Uh, as Ruchiji introduced me, this, for instance, a book sh- or a compilation which I've made of what is called as Blessing Before Birth. It's a set of nine books. Let me just take that graphic and try to put that up. Just, I'll just give you a moment. Now, this is Blessing Before Birth for you. Now, this is a set of nine books books seemingly but it's a compendium of not just books but practices of what you can do in terms of day-to-day instant-to-instant engagement to give the kind of knowledge transference through the golden period. Now I'm, I'm mentioning it again through the period of preconception before conception You can use it in the course of pregnancy. You can use it in the course of infancy. And you can also use it for later learning. Mind you, this set of books can last at least least to the age of minimum 12, 13. The growing up age, when the mind gets formed, mind structures get formed. Okay, pre-teenage. So that age, all the knowledge which requires to go as holistic knowledge is here. In fact, in the earlier period, this is the only knowledge which is required. So if you have younger children, especially very young children up to the age of five, six, seven, these books are truly a blessing. Because what is this? This is the essence of Garbha Gita, which I referred to. So all that knowledge in modern language, right? Modern language in spoken English, the way we have, it is there within this. So you can take recourse to this. You can take recourse to other practices which are there. You can go to, you know, there are many institutions within India and abroad which take you through programs of, uh, you know, development, either infant development or child development or, but I do not know how many of them really engage in holistic practices. Holistic will include the subconscious. If you do not include the subconscious, the practice becomes limited to physical, emotional, mental stage, which is Annamaya Kosha, Pranamaya Kosha, Manonamaya Kosha. But to engage with the subconscious, you need to work with different tools, techniques, all of that put together based on the scriptures and the scriptures are eloquent about it. So you can pick your sources and you can go to any one of these sources. So the point I was trying to make is that many options are there. It's just the lack of willingness. Sometimes I'm amazed, you know, we we know so much about this. We can't deny this knowledge. Even if we get to know about it, the level at which we engage with it is rather you know, leaves much to say. We really don't take to it. And now with unitary families coming about, you know, we have one or two children and therefore we try to put all our attention to that. Even there, we don't really look at it holistically. Okay? So I'm just leaving it at this because again, you know, uh, the decorum here requires us to engage in certain things and uh, beyond that I would uh, advise you to just look up any of the scriptures which are relevant, or take guidance from people who know about this. And I can assure you that there are things to be done at every stage, every stage as you bring up your child.
2: So, so my question is, like Abhimanyu, um, uh, when Subhadra slept, Abhimanyu learned through Subhadra. He, um, So, when she slept, his education in the Chakra view, stopped. So, like uh, you were saying earlier that the child is in a lucid state or a Shushupti state. So, when the child is in a Shushupti state, even when the mother is sleeping, would he or she be learning it, is my question. If that is so, then how come Abhimanyu, his education in the Chakra view formation, Stop the moment. Subhadra slept Number one. Number two, sir, just curious, your book cover had Sri Chakra and over it you had re-imposed uh, the brain over it, like uh, the formation of the brain or structure or something like that. Why is it that, that the Sri Chakra was there? Any significance? Okay,
0: I'll take the second question first because it's a very quick answer because all knowledge... And the symbolism which can you, you, you can use for all knowledge and how to work with energies is in the Shri Yantra or the Shri Chakrama. Now, the other part of the question, which is, why did Abhimanyu, why did his learning stop? In fact, as I told you, there are eight factors which become a collage. Okay, You can get more details in that book. However, at this point of time, since it's a very pointed question, because she fell asleep, why did the learning stop? If you recall, one of the things there which I mentioned was avastha. What was the avastha of Subhadra? Now, it was in a semi-awareness state because she was fully curious and then she progressed into falling asleep. So the degree of lucidity in her underwent a tremendous transformation. So parents remain connected to the baby, the mother through the umbilical cord, But beyond the genetics of it, there is an epigenetic connect. So the genetics and the epigenetics, which modern science also reaffirms, both of them are contributing where the father without the umbilical cord is also connected. And there are other people who could be connected to that baby. But their states will matter. The same way, if you continuously watch TV serials, which are sob stories or Sasbahu serials, what kind of an impact can go compared to something else, which is probably a lighter one. Okay. So here was a reality where... She transitioned into what is called a different psychological state, right? So that psychological state alters. Hypnagogia, hypnopompia are two terms used when you're getting to sleep and getting getting away from sleep, okay? So she moved. The more she progressed into those states, this learning stopped. Why did this learning stop? Because vishaya, the other collaborative factor. What was the kind of knowledge which was being spoken about there? So there are types of data. You have data, you have knowledge, you have information, you have high entropy knowledge. Now this came to a level of some low entropy knowledge, which is not the vidya or the jnana of a different kind. So that stops with conscious mind states. So the mother's learning stopped and the baby stopped learning. Okay? This is an amazing thing. So never look at it as a linear thing. There will be a collage of factors. Okay? Because his purva Janma and his abilities also come into place. So all of these put together is cause is causing the learning or the lack of it as well. Okay? So that's the message. Uh, Shivam
3: Babaji, uh, uh, when you were speaking about some of the patterns which get developed uh, in the womb, so, for example, you quoted some of the points which I could remember was some issues in learning or uh, so upgrading skills or relationship building skills, I think you don't like, if I remember it well, interpersonal skills, these are the skills which are also learned in the uh, womb by the baby. So do you mean like uh, if at all like someone is conscious and have identified like some person have is lacking in the skills, uh, it cannot be developed by constant self-practice and self-observation towards the right direction or it has to be corrected following some of the blessings uh, before birth uh, you have told or correcting it with the Guru? Is it not possible to self-correct it with constant observation and study?
0: Okay. Uh, I'm understanding this question as can as a grown-up with self-study and self-effort, can I remedy a situation? Of course you can. To a large extent, you can Some may not be changeable. Okay, So there are certain patterns which can change, certain patterns which cannot change. But most patterns can be changed. And I repeat, most patterns can be changed if you do it in the early period. That's why it's the golden period. In fact, uh, uh, even the WHO document states extensively about this, saying that brain structures and how you can influence it and what you can create, most of it happens in this period. It's like you know, the example which you can take is of uh, if you're building a house at the planning stage or before the cement hardens, what you put becomes the foundation. So the walls and the beams will stay. So after that, if you want to change, of course, you can to the extent you want to alter the windows or the position of the window, but you really can't change some of the foundational aspects unless you break it down completely rebuild, which is also a possibility. So depending on what your what your aim is, you can move in that particular direction. There are some things most uh, which can be changed, but the progression will be of a very different kind. The ability to change something which has hardened into solid cement becomes less. So from common observation, we can say that the better option is to progress in the earlier period. Does it mean end of story? No. No. You can do it at any other time in life also, but then the ability to change becomes less and less because of the other things. You know, we have conditionings, we have our own priorities, our own knowledge bases. So they will start interfering. There the baby is or the child, even as an infant growing up, is eager to learn and absorbs everything, right? So that becomes an easier period for you to focus. It's not as if you can't do it later on, but later on, apart from limitations of the environment, my own personal limitations also might hinder or become an obstacle. So it's better to start earlier, but it's not end of story later. That's the message. Thank you.
1: Uh, hello. Uh, this is uh, Shilpa Joshi. Uh, sir, thank you very much. Pranam aapko. I have two questions I have got. One is, you know, in the uh, early uh, times in pregnancy, a woman feels like eating certain things, you know very, very strongly, she has uh, like liking for certain things. So is it that the fetus is demanding for it? Or sometimes, you know, uh, there is a lot of vomiting happening. This all happens during the first uh, uh, third or fourth month, like, you know. So what is the connection? Is the uh, fetus not liking certain things? Or is it the demand from the fetus? That's why she feels like eating certain things. And my second question is uh, is this connection there is some connection of vritti sanskara chakra we talk in yoga with the sanskaras that are happening in the womb. So these are the two questions.
0: Okay. Uh, Let me give you one fundamental fact. If that baby is sentient and it's got super abilities, you remember what I mentioned? If your abilities are 40 signals the baby is in the context of Data gathering, it has abilities like 2 to 4 crore signals. So there's no comparison. The baby is very differently enabled. Now with that reality, the baby controls commands in as much measure measure as the mother, many times, much more than the mother and every other environmental influence. For instance, whatever is happening in the course of pregnancy itself, where the implantation has to happen into the wall of the uterus, how the baby makes inroads into the mother's physiology and, you know, works into the placenta mechanism, creating the placenta mechanism right through the process of to the end. You know, when the delivery has to happen is not a determination by anybody else, but the baby, when the head will turn, when the fixation will happen, etc. Et Every one of them gets orchestrated, engaged, and contributed to by the by the baby. And sometimes, entire process will be in the hands of the baby. Now, when that happens, consequently, this is the physicality. Imagine what can happen: eating patterns, sleeping patterns, certain type of aches which come up, certain types of change in habits. You know, you start dreaming more, or different kinds of dreams come to you, and whatever other things you mentioned. You know, in, including the throwing up symptoms. All of these are either directly caused or influenced by the baby okay directly caused or influenced by the baby because as i said it's it's such a sensitive thing even from the perspective of modern science by about 14th week the taste is developed so what it's going to take from the amniotic sac, sac as swallowings will change so you take chocolates which is what the research says chocolates the baby gulps up more fluid you eat garlic or pungent stuff, the baby doesn't take so much liquid. So there is, there's enough evidence now to tell you that that is being caused because the baby wants something and doesn't like something. Okay, So it will cause a change in the mother, both in her eating habits, sleeping habits, every one of them. So the rest of it in terms of the, the patterns which are coming from earlier and the yuktis which have to happen, the yogic components, are. it's a collage as I said. So there will be previous Purvajanma patterns and some things which are being carried from the previous life as well. The knowledge I would like to leave behind for everybody is that while all of these are true, you need to make your efforts because you're going to be spending a lifetime trying to educate the child and equip the child thereafter. Equip it, educate, give the maximum in this period so that whatever you want to do as a parent, which is your goal, give the best to the child, Right? do that in this period because you will get the best results.
2: yes, hom babaji namaste shiv आ babaji मेरे को पूछना था मेरी बेटी छः साल की है मतलब पांच साल की है तो इस चीज के बारे में मेरे को अभी पता चल like अभी मन इफेक्ट तो को बहुत सारी चीजें मन हैं थी वो में, मैं उसे बहुत सारी चीजें अभी तो वो 5 साल की हो गई है तो मैं अब क्या कर सकती हूँ उसे ना मतलब थोड़ा सब चीजें बताने के लिए या अभी बहुत लेट हो गया या फिर
0: नहीं ऐसा कुछ नहीं है कि लेट हो गया है कभी भी मौका जब भी मिले आपको कुछ ना कुछ कीजिएगा और अभी भी, भी आप बहुत कुछ कर सकते हैं अगर आप � yeah bharat ke andar bahut sari practices bhi hai usse aap uh, samadhan ya problems ya developmental issues or other things you can address it aur omnio future ke paas bhi matlab, this is not a platform where i can give you personalized advice we run a complete gurukulam jahan pe bacche padhte wo, that's available in the online mode as well so we have now shifted completely online so that people can get that benefit of online education Right up to the age of 18. Okay, so that is also there. Just as a passing reference, I'm mentioning this. Thank you. Yeah, good evening, sir. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, I have a very quick question. See, uh, from most of the talk, I got that uh, mother is basically the enabler or on the driving seat, right? Uh, I just wanted to know can father be also an equal enabler? I'm not talking about being a helper in this journey, but yeah, can he be an enabler as well? Viniji, let me give you a very quick answer to this. It might have sounded as if the mother is in control, but I mentioned it repeatedly that people who have both from the perspective of science and our scriptures, who have influence of the child includes father, mother and others in the environment. Okay, now who are the others in the environment? Now, if you begin to look at it, the father and the mother are closest in terms of the genetic construct of the baby and also the other connects which the baby has. So the father all through the course of pregnancy, infancy and later on in life has as much influence as the mother in the entire process. So the father definitely can. The point I would like to extend is it needs to be of a different kind of engagement. So not just the father and mother but if somebody has this knowledge as a prenatal, perinatal educator, as a golden period educator, as a person who can facilitate certain processes, they work in planes where you can link up to the energetic states of the baby. So even they could perform those functions. So very often, even grandparents could get into that bracket. If they, Sometimes they come to us and say that, you know, my, my son and daughter, daughter-in-law daughter are very busy. Can we do something? Even they could get in because they're, They have as much close connections with the baby. So knowledge drives. Abilities of genetic, epigenetic abilities also drive. All this put together creates learning for the baby. In in summary, father has as much, and in certain contexts, more abilities than the mother. More abilities, because certain types of learning only the father can give, not the mother.
2: Okay? Uh, Let me tell you, I've been a very regular viewer of Sangam Talks. I really enjoy them because they you know, go into our culture and everything. Uh, I wanted to say that, you see, unfortunately, even we didn't know about this golden period. So I have two children now, whatever they are. there's, I don't know if there's much hope for them, but we can focus on the grandchildren, I think, uh, to be conceived or to be born. Uh, do you suggest... I have two questions, actually. So I think when the their mother is pregnant, we must uh, talk a lot of knowledgeable things. And secondly, I would like to know: supposing you said there is a chance, like if uh, Arjun had re, you know, retold the lecture to his wife Subhadra, and the full thing, and that time she was awake, was it possible that, that Abhimanyu would have lived? Thank you.
0: Yes, you know the second question first again. Yes, if the knowledge transference was complete, then Abhimanyu would have learned the entire thing. Because he had the abilities, but there are other factors which came in, like the change of state of the mother and the father later on not giving that knowledge to the baby. Or even in an adult stage, if he had learned it in a gurukulam or an educational institution or guidance from his teachers, You know, Krishna's son was amongst the mentors for uh, Abhimanyu. So either his father, uh, Arjun, or uncle krishna or uh, his guru Pratyumna, any one of these people or anybody else could have given this knowledge to him and he could have learnt about it but there were other factors more subtle factors for example where this knowledge came from he he didn't get it as a diksha from his guru so therefore he could not go and tell arjun that i know about this knowledge as a youngster because if in in his case he didn't get it as a diksha he got it by default so there was a different uh, connotation there okay so in in summary Yes, he could have learnt about it at a later stage from his father or from other people who could have technically given this knowledge to him. Now, second, what about people who have already passed that age or should we just focus on grandchildren? Definitely much more potential is there and much more possibilities are there in the younger ages. But you can always work with older people as well. So the range of things which can be done with this awareness is what our scriptures are there for, what our knowledge, holistic knowledge base is there for. The more we delve into it, the better it is. So definitely there's an opportunity for you, for us to engage even at the grandparent level, societal level. I can tell my neighbors, I can talk to my nephews, nieces, brothers, sisters, anybody, and fundamentally wake up everybody. You know, I'm, I'm taking this opportunity to mention this. We have a new education policy which has come about. India is a signatory to that NCF, framework, mind you, India is a signatory to that. So Indian government is a part of that process, but how much of it is actually translating into the new education policy? That's another question. Okay. So I'm just leaving it at that to say that every one of us could definitely contribute into this process. Thank you. Namaste, uh, Shiv And uh, uh, my uh,
4: question uh, is extension of what Viridji asked. And in fact, it's more than a question, a concern. And uh, it is about like what you mentioned about role of fathers and role of other people in the surrounding, in raising the child and uh, you know making him a complete person as he could be. And I also recall name of another book that uh, is something like this, that it takes a village to uh, raise a child, something like that. Uh, uh, I mean, that is where my concern is that today, uh, most of the families are becoming nuclear, and in fact, more than nuclear, they are becoming polar. You know, I mean, with four family members and four devices, they are uh, you know in different corners, and interaction uh, within the family members itself is so low that it uh, it is like it is not really a question as I told. It's a concern. How do we address this kind of scenario? when it uh, has to be looked at from uh, the Abhimanyu effect perspective.
0: Agarwalji, that's a very, very, very thought-provoking thing. How can we really build this at a fast pace? Uh, Believe me, when we started on this process many decades ago, many years ago, it used to be like, you know, I used to go and talk to people and go as a messenger carrying this message and try to tell people and people hardly anybody would listen to you, especially... Uh, the medical fraternity would really care two hoots for you. And you had to stand in a queue to even see the doctor for a few minutes to explain this concept. But today, the level of awareness, I am regularly invited to the All India Conference of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. their their major All India conferences which are held. They call us and because they want their own people also to progress. So there is a progression there. government has got involved, right? So there will be some things which will happen if all of us get together and start talking to the government also, it will also make a significant impact. So the point is that this movement which started just a few decades back, it looks like from a modern scientific perspective, if you just add steam to it, it's a natural process, but we can make our individual contributions to make sure that this picks up faster and faster through many mechanisms and including platforms of engagement through the social media or or engaging with organizations, engaging with the government, engaging, because, you know, when the government came out with a paper two years ago, not even two years ago, I think one and a half years ago, I think it was from the Ayush ministry. They said, you know, get the, get the pregnant woman to have nice pictures, look at nice things and, and not eat certain types of food or not do the, that was, there was a barrage of attack by the media unscientific, useless, wasting, all of it happened. I just wanted to open the textbooks of modern science, which are telling you what it is. And the knowledge would have really changed everybody's perspective. It's happening. At the highest level, FOGC, which is the uh, national body of gynecologists and uh, obstetricians of India, they're engaged. At the international level, FIGO is engaged. And there are global organizations which are getting together, national organizations getting together, social, cultural organizations getting together. So I see it more of hope and possibility. And it will, it will explode very soon. Keep watching it. We never knew about preschools 20 years ago, right? Today, it's a fact of life. So it will happen very, very soon. Thank you.
2: Uh... Ek, uh, interesting question uh, chat box mein aaya hai, mein usko chhorti, leti, ho, and that will be our last question. The question is from Ramakrishna Ramakrishnaji. He's asking about the effect of handling phones to infants during the golden period, which seems to be pretty common these days. So, what would you like to say about that?
0: Okay, two points I'll make because we need to be holistic about this. Phones are a reality of life. You cannot live without phones. So now as a communication device, as entertainment device, as a medium of data transfer, there are many utilities. So I have to live with it, but learn how the impact of that could be there, altering certain structures. Because if you remember, we spoke about subconscious and vijjana. It's subtle, it's a very subtle energy, different waves, different frequencies, different wavelengths, different amplitudes, which are creating those mechanisms. Obviously, anything which is going to alter that is going to create an impact. So whether it is mobile phones or whether it is uh, microwave ovens or whether it is x-rays in, which are there in uh, airports and virtually shopping malls, in fact, even the cameras there. You know, they're taking innumerable pictures of yours and passing rays through you. So all of these are definitely bound to impact both the parents as well as the baby because it's got highly sensitive features, faculties, especially the subconscious is highly, highly, highly subtle. So that's going to be subject to those impacts. So the more you minimize, the more you understand certain things are okay certain things are not okay and try to use it judiciously that's the way forward because i'm not going to sit here and give you a prescription forget technology don't use it no that would be unrealistic but how to integrate that in the context of pregnancy or in the course of life itself we need to moderate that moderation is the game okay namaste this is our website academy.omniofuture.com where you will get led to the courses and programs And the email contact, Facebook, Twitter, all of these are there for you. So anybody could just connect, leave a message and somebody or the other will get in touch with you in case you would like to know something more in detail or engage
1: in a different capacity. Okay.